Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Norm Glomsky has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Be like Norm. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com forward slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, May 24th, 2019. In Los Angeles, I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. It's my son's seventh birthday. I'm Len Woo. Woo, happy birthday, Len's son. I have no son but two daughters. I'm the show's producer, Roger Chin. And joining us today, author and podcaster, web editor, and segment producer at the Texas Standard, Shelly Brisbane, back on the show. Welcome back, Shelly. Hello, and thank you for having me. I don't have a catchphrase prepared. Uh, that's okay. It is not required. Uh, right. Catchphrase optional, always. Next time, I'll come with one, I promise. <laughs> of course. Uh, Shelly's going to update us on uh, how things are going in the tech world regarding accessibility. We've had a lot of the, the recent conferences like uh, Google I.O. and Microsoft Build. going to talk about that in a little bit. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. The Wall Street Journal sources say that Snap is in talks with Sony, Universal, and Warner to license song catalogs for the Snapchat app. This would give its users the rights to include music in their posts, similar to how TikTok and Facebook already do. The rights would be limited to inclusion in posts, so it does not seem that Snap has ambitions to create a music service. iFixit published the results of its teardown of the new MacBook Pro keyboards and found the material that covers the key switch is now nylon instead of the complex polymer. It was pre- Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet 
strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ah, the mystery material. Mm -hmm. So it's put on its nylons. Also, the metal dome switch underneath each key shows some evidence of being made of maybe a different alloy, possibly getting a different heat treatment, possibly both. And that's it. That's the change. Poland has submitted a complaint to the European Court of Justice against copyright rules that were adopted back in April. These are the rules that would require large companies to show good faith efforts to prevent the upload of copyright infringing works and payments for using news snippets. Poland argues that filtering the filtering requirement would lay the foundation for a preventative censorship, which it says is forbidden by the Polish Constitution and EU treaties. Keep an eye on that one. And the SD Association, which governs the specs of SD cards, has barred Huawei from being a member due to U.S. trade restrictions. That means future Huawei phones will not be allowed to be made with SD card support. Doesn't mean that current Huawei phones will lose support, though. They'll be fine. Uh, Not to worry, though. Huawei has its own proprietary nano memory cards, which apparently it's already using in a bunch of its newer devices. So that won't be a big switch for them. Let's talk a little bit more about Facebook making their own crypto coin. Let's do that. Facebook has spoken to Bank of England Governor Mark Carney about plans to set up its own cryptocurrency. The BBC reports that Facebook plans to use its own global coin to set up digital payment system in around a dozen countries by the first quarter of 2020. The system being developed under the name Project Libra, yay, go Libras, would set up as a Swiss-based association and then partner with banks and brokers to let people change currency into digital coins without needing a bank account of their own. The coin would reportedly be pegged to a basket of strong currencies like dollars and euros and yen. Facebook has also discussed its plans with the U.S. Treasury regarding fighting fraud and with Western Union as a potential client. Yeah, this is very interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, one, uh, the the way a cryptocurrency could become the most successful cryptocurrency that everybody keeps trying to guess is going to happen could be a website that has a couple billion users implements it. Uh, so it could be a boost in that direction. Also, it strikes me that Facebook, if they're going to follow up on their promises to make things more private and keep you from being tracked even by themselves, maybe, uh, they will need other revenue sources besides advertising income. And, you know, possibly uh, encouraging money transfers would be a big way to do that, especially in areas of the world like India, Southeast Asia, et cetera, that uh, rely on money transfers quite a bit. Yeah, I'm not surprised that Facebook would want to take advantage of uh, a, a, a very large piece of the population who might not have a bank account and, and Facebook could get something out of this. 
my first question when when I was kind of digesting the story was, all right, well, if you're a bank and and you you know you need some sort of a transaction fee, I guess that just happens with Facebook rather than um, rather than the the customer. Ultimately, my first reaction was, well, why would a bank want to do that? But you know, you mentioned to me, Tom, before the show. Well, banks want to work with people who can't have bank accounts for whatever reason as well, because they want more customers somehow. Shelly, what do you make of this? Well, I feel like Facebook has to do something like this, uh, both for the reasons that you said, Tom, about uh, needing to find other sources of revenue. And also, it seems like if they want people to stay on their platform, they have to facilitate this so that if people want to use crypto for payments, Facebook is an option for them and maybe the option for them. I, I suspect that if it's not just for people who uh, don't want bank accounts, but people who if, if crypto ever becomes uh, actually more mainstream than it is and less of a sort of a, just a speculative currency, Facebook's got to be in there. As far as the bank's involvement, I, I assume that they're functioning as underwriter in some way. It's it's not that it's competing with what the bank does on a retail level, but uh, you know they get a piece of that pie, right? Yeah, they probably not so much underwriting, but but uh, making money off the transfers in and out. Uh, mm-hmm. Banks providing the the currency conversion, they could take a cut of those transactions yeah, uh, and 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 make a lot of money. Because remember, uh, banks are not just retail banks banks are banks are also and and more so uh international finance transfer and all of that and especially in areas where facebook wants to grow uh there are a lot of people who don't have bank accounts and can't have bank accounts and this would be a way for facebook to not only give them a lot of the functions of a bank which a lot of startups are trying to do but also get them in their ecosystem which is something wechat in china has showed is a great method of growth and monetization. And we see a lot of companies in Southeast Asia and India uh, copying that kind of business plan. We just don't see it in the United States as much. SpaceX successfully launched and deployed 60 satellites as part of its Starlink project to deliver gigabit internet to the world. This is the first non-test launch in a series that plans to build up 12,000 satellites in low Earth orbit for worldwide coverage by the mid-2020s. The satellites weigh about 227 kilograms, have multiple high-throughput antennas, include electric propulsion to help achieve and maintain proper positioning by expelling charged atoms of krypton, so they'll keep Superman out too. OneWeb launched its first six satellites toward a similar service in February, so now SpaceX jumps in front of them with 60, and Amazon still plans to launch 3,200 satellites for its Project Kuiper internet service so they're third in the race right now so 60 satellites isn't going to do a whole lot but twelve thousand satellites would make an impact and i know that we sort of joke about haha hope all those companies once they get all the satellites up that they need the satellites won't run into each other but if you are covering the entire earth you know if all goes well how do they figure that out yeah that is not a joking matter uh spacex says they have some technology built into the satellites to kind of detect if something's about to collide with them and get out of the way right um, but that problem as all of these services need to have a couple of thousand to be able to provide any kind of coverage uh there's gonna that's going to become a more crowded orbit now granted there's a lot of space up there you know like it gets bigger <laughs> as you get farther from the earth yeah, so, exactly. so you don't want to minimize that but also these things are moving around they're not all geostationary and 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 so collisions are a problem especially because one collision then creates a bunch of pieces that make it more probable that there will be further collisions 
I also wonder how they're going to interoperate, if at all, uh, in terms of I mean, they're going to be close to one another. Is it going to be like uh, cell phone carriers that have to cooperate so that when you go from one entity's sphere of influence to another, mm-hmm. you know, how's that going to work? And um, I, I've never heard uh, the satellite uh, uh, reference in terms of its weight. So that's sort of fascinating to me. Now I know what a satellite weighs. I presume that's a pretty small satellite. Yeah, um, these anyway, are. Space is kind of vast. So um the, the, that may not necessarily mean that their collision risk is lower, but it does mean they've got a lot more to work with. It's not like some sort of you know building-sized thing floating around up there in the sky. Correct. And and we only have a few hundred satellites in orbit right now, and there's already collision issues. So this is, this is something they're going to have to deal with. Um, this is also in low Earth orbit uh, is another thing to consider. And the last thing, uh, to your point about c- communication, one thing that SpaceX did say is – future versions of these satellites will have more functions, including the ability to talk to each other while in orbit. So they could be able to handle transferring data from one satellite to another uh, as the system gets built up. I mean, selfishly, I'm like, faster internet for me. But really, it's so many underserved areas of the Earth currently uh, in, in all over the world, really. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about how this will improve internet access for all. Best Buy is canceling pre-orders of the Samsung Galaxy Fold because Samsung has not set a new release date. AT&T had put up a June 13th date, but has since taken that down. Samsung was reported to have a fix for the phone and had said at the beginning of this month it would have a new release date in the coming weeks. But the company also said at the time it would cancel pre-orders itself on May 31st if customers no longer wish to wait in compliance with U.S. law. Well, it doesn't look good, it's, does it? Yeah, you know, it's May 24th, so. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I I don't have much to add to this other than, wow, okay, well, if Best Buy is pulling out, they they probably heard something or know something, and they're like, yeah, we we, we don't need to wait till May 31st. Let's. let's I was just... surprised they were still taking pre-orders. I thought it was kind of like, uh, we'll be back when we get it right. Oh, yeah, I, they I were not taking pre-orders anymore. That's a good point. They were only saying those who made the pre-orders before. Oh, <laughs> I see. Oh, uh, I we yeah. aren't canceling them yet. Mm. Uh, until May 31st when they have to. Uh, and now Best Buy is like, yeah, well, you know, we're just going to cancel the pre-orders from the people <laughs> who ordered from us. I, I think we we want to back out of this. The China Railway Rolling Stock Corporation showed off its latest prototype maglev train that can reach speeds of 600 kilometers per hour. Sarah, that's 373 miles per hour. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, would, kilometers make no sense to me. It would theoretically be able to go from Beijing to Shanghai in three and a half hours. Uh, which if you're like, I don't know how, how far it is from Beijing to Shanghai, it takes a jet four and a half hours to fly from Beijing to Shanghai. That's not security or taxing. That's four and a half hours to fly a jet, three and a half hours to take this train. Now, the jet actually has a top speed faster than the train, but the train just gets to its speed faster and can stay there. Uh, this would be faster than the fastest commercial maglev service right now, which reaches 431 kilometers per hour on its run between Shanghai's airport and the city center. And Japan holds the world's speed record with a prototype train that reached 603 kilometers per hour. So I don't know, this new maglev train might be able to squeeze out a few more kilometers and, and top that one too. I like fast I mean, train. Air- I hope it works out. Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. You can, you know, if, if air travel is often necessary because there's just sort of no way to drive there otherwise, you know, or to take a train or whatever, or you, or you don't have the time. But to be able to get on a train, which is infinitely easier than getting on a plane anywhere in the world, and it be an hour uh, quicker 
is just music to my ears. Even though it's nowhere near where I live, it would be something I would want to go and just experience between Beijing and Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just jealous. Uh, I would like uh, this kind of, of train travel and uh, the the ease of boarding <laughs> that currently goes with train travel. Um, so yeah, that that would be nice. And if it's actually faster across the terrain, I don't know. That feels like a pretty cool thing to me. Yeah. I mean, I know some people like flying, but trains are where it's at. More trains. More trains. Unless you're a satellite. (laughs) Yandex, Russia's largest tech company, is launching a delivery service. This is a very interesting one in Moscow and St. Petersburg to start called Yandex NV. The N and the V, but sounds like NV. That lets customers tell a restaurant what they want cooked, even if it's not on that restaurant's menu. Then NV, which the company calls a cloud restaurant, will prepare meal kits from a customer's chosen ingredients from hundreds of dishes and then send it to a nearby restaurant to cook it up. A Yandex courier will then deliver the finished dish. You might recall back in 2017, Yandex merged with Uber's Russian arm. So Yandex also has its ride-hailing service and also Yandex Eats that works like Uber Eats, delivering cooked food from restaurants, and also Yandex Chef Supplies meal kits for home cooking. So, to so be this clear, is sort of like a it's a it's a trifecta. Yeah, you can't just tell them your recipe. It has to be one of the recipes from Yandex Chef. Yes. Okay. Although they say that includes. It's 100 dishes. Okay, so it's a much bigger menu. Which no restaurant is going to have. It's a much bigger menu. But I can't just make up like, I want uh, kipper snacks and brown rice. And they're like, we don't have a meal kit for that, Tom. Just go make that yourself. That's what you eat for lunch. Um, (laughs) Which you probably should. Which is what I (laughs) ate for lunch. Um, (laughs) And then you don't have to pay a delivery fee. But but it will be like, oh, you know, the the French restaurant that only has 15 things on its menu could make you some borscht if it didn't have it on the menu because Yandex Chef has the supplies. And so Yandex Chef brings the supplies to the restaurant. The restaurant cooks it. And then Yandex eats delivery delivers it from the restaurant to you. Yeah. So it's like you think of a restaurant menu. It's well, some if you're a cheesecake factory, you probably have hundreds of items on your menu, but most restaurants don't. So you say like, "Ah, I just want this thing, but I don't know. I just can't find it anywhere. But then you don't want to just necessarily sign up for Yandex Chef because that's prepared meals where it's limited. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, that's sort of part of the deal is that you pay a premium for, you know, these dishes. So if you don't want either of those things, Yandex is like, well, okay, we, all of these folks can work with each other anyway, and the courier will just bring it to you. I guess I wonder what's in it for the restaurant. If you're that French restaurant, do you really want to make borscht? Do you have a couple of people over off to the side who are just doing the meal kit prep? I mean, I, the the one scenario I can think of is everybody wants Italian food, but one wants Kung Pao chicken, and the restaurant gets the business anyway. I don't know. It, it just seems a little convoluted even in the explanation i i was sort of like wait what they're gonna do what they're trying to cover all their bases but it seems confusing yeah i I mean i think to simplify it from the customer end it'll be oh i like what yandex chef has i don't want to cook it let me order it and then it will be cooked and delivered to me right i don't have to know what restaurant is cooking it necessarily uh that's that's so so you may have a business that specializes in that like you've got a, a commercial kitchen and there's an area where that they essentially you know rent out and hire people for the night to prep meal kit food yeah that's why they call it a cloud restaurant but this yeah. bloomberg story does imply that regular restaurants that you can also order other things from uh will be doing this and that's where roger whose family was in the restaurant business for years roger was wondering like okay how do you work that into the assembly line 
of 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 a, a, a right. well functioning kitchen. Yeah, a, a restaurant doesn't have is you can't. I mean, broadly, yeah, you can tell when when the busy cycle is right. You know, when around six to eight, that's when people are eating dinner. Lunch is usually from like eleven thirty till one thirty. But you don't know when if you're going to have a rush. And if yes, that means that order, does it come first before someone who sat in your restaurant and is waiting for their, you know, whatever lunch special? Or do you just wait until all that all those customers are taken out? Then you move on to the meal kit. And also, not if you have different kitchens preparing the food, it's going to taste different. Exactly. You're not going to have the same. You're not going to have the same quality control. Or, or at least taste control that you would like. Oh, I really love this borscht, but it turns out it's only made the way you like it from this one kitchen. If they send it to any of the other kitchens, Why does or restaurants, borscht tastes well, like pizza. Oh wait, I, I think part of this is probably that you don't know what kitchen's cooking the meal because if you like a certain restaurant, then you probably like something on the menu already, and you're probably not going to want to take advantage of this specifically. You're taking advantage of what, which sounds like low prices and the convenience of just not having to cook anything, but not getting too crazy. So I don't know. What if a restaurant is closed on Sundays and everybody who's making prep meals for Yandex goes over there and and they're, they're actually it's more of a quality control because I don't know if that's the case, but I could see that happening where the restaurant is not really very impacted at all. To me, the itch, it feels like it scratches is my, my local grocery store has a lot of prepared meals and they're quite good. And you pay, you know, $7, $10 or whatever. And so it's affordable and you can count on the quality and you can see what you're going to order and you're going to take it home and you don't have to cook it. All you have to do is heat it up because I can't imagine that some specific recipe is going to get people all excited, but they would look at a list and they go, yeah, salmon and asparagus. That sounds pretty good. That's pretty simple to make. It's not something I have an attachment to from a specific restaurant. All right, let's let these guys make it for me. Yeah. There was a a great uh, quote from one of the index officials in the Bloomberg story that home style and simple food is getting traction online, like borscht, meat cutlets with mashed potatoes and Hawaiian poke. (laughs) One of those traditional Russian dishes that we all <laughs> Hey, poke, worldwide phenom. Right, man. It's I'm, a thing. I'm with you. It's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. All right. Microsoft Bill, Google I.O., uh, lots of companies out there claiming uh, to try to improve accessibility. How are they doing, Shelley? You know, it's interesting because all of the the big companies, and I'll include Apple too, they've got their developers conference coming up. All the big companies are doing really different things with accessibility, but they're all doing things, which is exciting. Okay. That's there's, good. There's a, there's a weird way in which they're almost competing on accessibility because, I mean, there's the sort of story stuff where Sacha Nudello gets up and talks about his child who is deaf or has a hearing impairment and other CEOs or people from tech companies tell the story. And I, I always cringe at that because I'm like, okay, show me the product, show me the, the tools that you're making. But even but the keynotes at uh, Microsoft Build and Google I/O both included mentions of accessibility, which were followed up with more detailed either product announcements or, in the case of Google, a lot of "look at this cool thing we can do," which may or may not become a product. But it 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 really feels like there's a way they're kind of trying to one up each other, and there's enough of it that's in the product category as opposed to the moonshot category that it feels like they're not just doing that. They're not just competing for the brownie points or the feel-good points, uh, but they're actually making stuff. And interestingly enough, Apple, which especially in the mobile space has had a lead for a while, 
I feel like it's time for them to do a little catching up. You know, I was listening to uh, BBC World Service this morning, and they had someone from a, a charity called Scope uh, on talking about this. And one of the things she kept repeating was that it is difficult for people to book a flight uh, because travel sites often are not accessible or, or, mm-hmm. or airplane sites are not accessible. Do you, it, it sounds like you're a little more positive about things in general than that. Well, I don't know. I would agree with that about the okay. flights. And, right. and, and it's because, for one thing, people use so many different travel sites. Uh, I actually have friends who have consulted with airlines, both on it's the site stuff and also uh, traveling through airports and, you know, all the stuff that you have to deal with to fly. Imagine doing that with a disability and saying, oh, no, 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 I don't need a wheelchair. I have a visual impairment. If you could just steer me to the right, right. place, that would be great. And also, uh, yeah, I'd like to buy my ticket myself. Please, please just let go of my arm. I'd like to do that. Uh, so there's still there's still issues, certainly on a practical level, uh, but there's a language you can speak in terms of to make the site accessible, to make the app accessible. There are standards one can obey and uh, the WCAG standards and the ARIA standards that govern web accessibility and the uh, the c- compliance with voiceover or Android accessibility within those mobile platforms. You know, that's a start. And so you say to somebody at an airline or at a travel site. Are you compatible with those standards? Yes. Okay, but you just added a new feature that's not compatible. Your mm-hmm. new fancy, dan- fancy dancy. Uh, let me show you the seats before you chose them because now they cost you fifty dollars extra. You All might right. as well see them. Oh well, that popover isn't accessible. It's that kind of stuff that happens. So would it be fair to say that uh, we're seeing uh, improvement from the tech companies in developing products? Uh, we're we're seeing, uh, but we still have a lot of ways to go in implementing this across the web. Yeah, I think so, because it's less about what the companies that build the tech tools that we use uh, provide and more about how they're implemented by, you know, your your department store, your restaurant site. And they're notorious, by the way, because restaurant sites love Flash and Flash is mm-hmm. it's not so bad anymore, but it's that kind of thing. There's like uh, and, and as I say, there, there are people who who do nothing but. Uh, audit for web accessibility. Unfortunately, there have been there's a lot of uh, legal action in that area, and there there are certainly people who are the equivalent of patent trolls who go out and file suits to try and, and win some money. But there are a lot of people who legitimately can't do the business that they want to do because a website hasn't been made fully accessible. And you know that's not something that uh, Apple or Microsoft or Google is going to be able to fix. They can say Chrome is accessible, Safari is accessible. We support. The WCAG standards. We support all the web accessibility. You know, we're we're beha- our, our HTML or our scripts are behaving well, but you decided to make something that doesn't comply with that. So, tell us some of the examples of things that you're seeing out there that are that are useful for you. Sure. Well, and I guess, and again, some of it is some of its moonshots, some of its product stuff, but artificial intelligence is really playing a big role in accessibility. Microsoft and Google particularly have done really interesting uh, tools. For example, this is not a new tool. Microsoft has a tool called Seeing AI, and just because it gives a, a good real, a real good demo, uh, that can actually evaluate what it's seeing around it and can either read text or it can do facial recognition or it can do uh, scene recognition. So for example, you point it around this room and it says, you know, desk, chair, table. And, and again, that's not a new app, but it's adding capabilities. It's, it's adding uh, recognition of known people. Uh, Microsoft has a number of other AI initiatives that have to do with uh, eye gaze, which is what somebody who is, uh, doesn't have the use of their hands, but who might, who would use some sort of head mounted device 
Um, so they're using AI to sort of fill in the blanks of missing information. Uh, and some of those have come into products like Seeing AI or uh, Google Outlook. Uh, but some of them are, you know, it's they're, they're, what's, what's cool about them is they're AI research projects. They make great AI research projects. Microsoft has given a whole bunch of money to uh, developers who want to do AI research projects. It's a grant thing. And they're actually building, you know, some, some really useful tools for people, both with vision impairments and physical disabilities. Now, I know you wanted to mention some developments in specific devices for assistive technology as well. Yeah, so there's a conference called the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference. It's named for the California University that sponsors it. The California uh, State University at Northridge has an accessibility assistive technology program, and they do an annual conference. And so uh, just as you might go to CES or uh, you know, another conference that is a tech focus, uh, that's where you go to learn about assistive technology. And I went this March. And one of the things that's really interesting, and I, I guess I kind of say this a lot because it happens in different ways. There is a commodification of that kind of technology. So used to the only technology somebody with a disability might have access to is technology that was designed specifically for them. In other words, a Braille display, a screen reader mm-hmm. for a blind person. Now what's happening is those tech, those devices are being built with commoditized products. So they're using Android tablets. They're using standard, uh, you know, LCD displays. So they, they're, they're making them a lot less expensive. Uh, the nice thing about, for example, uh, magnification systems that are based on Android or Windows Surface or now even iPads, which is kind of a new odd wrinkle that happened this year, uh, is that those devices are also available to the person with disabilities in their normal usage pattern. So you can use an Apple, you can use an iPad, or you can use an Android phone for the things that anybody would use it for. But you can also use it to do extreme magnification. You can do distance magnification so that you can see a blackboard across a room. You can scan text so that you can read your bills or your receipts. Uh, and, and all that stuff used to be sort of custom hardware, which made it really expensive. And now what they're doing is, is using those commodity uh, products that, and, and, and frankly, and I asked the guy, I said, why would you take a thousand dollar iPad, which is a good deal more expensive than say an Android tablet. And several companies are doing this. I said, why would you do that? Why would you use, use a more expensive technology? And this, because people want them because blind people want, you know, they, they have a desire for a particular piece of technology just the way anybody does. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're meeting demand and it's cool that those options exist. Well, before we uh, wrap wrap this up, I want to mention a, a site that I heard on that same BBC interview I was talking about and, and get your thoughts on it. I emailed it to you earlier today. It's called BigHack.org. Uh, and the idea is to give people a place to report, uh, not in a, in a mean way, but just to say like, hey, I ran into this accessibility problem. And the scope people who run it uh, promise to collect that data and advocate with tech companies to fix those problems. What did you think of this? It's an interesting idea, and I do think a lot of the issues for individuals with disabilities who encounter things that aren't accessible to them is a feeling of powerlessness. There's a feeling that I, I'm even with the Twitterverse now, where we can get in touch with the companies that we do business with. People feel like, well, I'm, how am I going to get that resolved? I don't want to be litigious. I don't want to go out, you know. And if I'm one person, I had a problem with a captcha. I had a problem with an app that had a popover that I couldn't, you know, scroll away from, and you know, hopefully this will provide some empowerment for individuals and will also aggregate data in a, in a way that can be presented to tech companies that will actually, you know, show patterns and show, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's, what's going on in, in a larger 
context, we, we know generally what accessibility and inaccessibility means, but what are like the specific granular bits of that that we can fix? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, Shelly, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insight. This is, this is something we, we need to hear more about. Uh, and I appreciate you being willing to come on and talk about it. My pleasure. It was fun. Absolutely. Also, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. If you haven't hung out there, it's a great time. Submit stories and vote on others. Dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. Let's check in with Len Peralta and find out what he has been drawing during today's show. Len? Well, I find uh, assistive technology amazing. It's pretty, really cool. Uh, but I had to do this because I've got a little bit of uh, shelf life with it. It's a little Game of Thrones uh, uh, take here. Uh, the latest in accessibility <laughs> tech would be three-eyed Raven assistive de- devices. And the image is, of course, of Bran wearing what looks like a VR raven headset three-eyed raven headset <laughs> that's how he wargs into the ravens it's just augmented so. reality no he can do it on his own that's how we work oh, into that's the how ravens. we can be like bran from game of thrones yeah I see. exactly oh. so uh, that's great so, uh this is available right now uh if you're a patreon backer patreon.com forward slash len it's for, available for you right now or you can get it the old-fashioned way through my online store at lenperaltastore.com Thanks to Shelly Brisbane for being with us. Shelly, you had so much good information. How can folks keep up with the rest of your fabulous work? Well, you can subscribe to my podcast, which is Parallel. Every two weeks, I talk with both mainstream and accessibility tech-oriented folks. We talk about topics and we sprinkle some accessibility on top of it. So hopefully it's interesting for everyone. That's at relay.fm slash parallel. You can also get my book on iOS accessibility at iosaccessbook.com. Excellent. Uh, thanks, everybody, for supporting this show. Uh, if you listen on the free feed, that's great. Uh, th- th- there's there's some ads that are put in at the top uh, to pay for that, and that's awesome. But you could get it without ads. Uh, you can get some bonus episodes. Uh, we just put out our, our episode looking back at May 2014, the actual Daily Tech News Show lineups from five years ago, and talking about the, the, the craziness of some of those tech stories that were big stories back then and how they look now five years later. Uh, if you're a co-executive producer at the $10 a month level, you got that in your feed right now. Go check out what else is available by becoming a member at Patreon com slash DTNS. You know what we would like? We would like to read your emails. And we have an email address for you to do just that at feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday. If you can join us, we'd love to have you. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. We're out for the holiday on Monday here in the U.S., but we'll be back on Tuesday with Robert Heron talking TVs. See you then. Ooh. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. 
Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.